HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by GigPro, the staffing solution for businesses and workers in the hospitality industry. Check out gigpro.com and download the GigPro app today. Welcome to Spill and Dish, a new podcast from the Specialty Food Association. Founded in 1952, SFA is the leading trade association and source of information about the $175 billion specialty food industry. We champion the food producers, retailers, and other buyers who make up the specialty food world. If you want to know more about membership, visit specialtyfood.com. In each episode, we want to share the stories behind the products made and sold by our members who are helping to shape the future of food. You can listen and discover the inspiration, recipe, craft, culture, ingredients, and production methods that help answer the question, what makes specialty food special? I'm today's host, George Hajar, Associate Editor at SFA. We're excited to bring you today's episode and so happy to be working with Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit podcast network covering the world of food, drink, and agriculture, and expanding the way eaters think about food. Today's guest is Paula Lambert, founder of Dallas's Mozzarella Company. Under Paula's direction, the company has grown from making a few pounds of fresh mozzarella to producing over 30 artisanal cheeses. Her cheeses are award-winning and sold to restaurants and stores across the country. In addition to her company, Paula is also the author of many books, including the recently re-released The Cheese Lover's Cookbook and Guide. Welcome, Paula. We're so happy to have you on the show. Thank you. How are you? Doing well. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, let's dive right into it. Can you tell me a little bit about the cheeses that you make? Yes. Uh, we make cheeses from cow's milk and goat's milk, and mm-hmm. we make both fresh and aged cheeses. So the fresh cheeses are sold soon after they're made, and the uh, aged cheeses are aged for different periods of time, and they're treated differently during their maturation process. Mm-hmm. How so? Well, uh, some are rubbed with beer. Others mm-hmm. have herbs on them. Some are uh, aged after they've been dipped in wax. Others are rubbed with chilies and mm-hmm. just lots of different things. We have one cheese called Deep Ellum Blue that is rubbed on the exterior with a blue mold. Mm-hmm. 
And um, so I saw that you have started developing more and more cheeses as as the uh, business has grown. Uh, what goes into the process of creating or developing a new cheese? My ideas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love. Uh, I love. Uh, wonderful food and wonderful restaurants. I love to travel and I get ideas from things I see and taste and hear about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And do you have a favorite cheese that you produce? Yes. Fresh mozzarella. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, the original staple. Yes. I mm-hmm. love it. I have some, uh, at home right now. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And how did you get involved in specialty foods? Well, I uh, lived in Europe studying Mm -hmm. Italian and uh, came back to the United States and got married. And uh, I decided that I missed something that I loved in Italy when I was living there, and it was fresh mozzarella. So Mm -hmm. I decided to build a factory and make it. Mm-hmm. And so I started in 1982, and uh, I learned to make the fresh mozzarella, and then I went out and started selling it. Mm-hmm. Amazing. <laughs> and um, so I know that you also um, run food and, like, cooking tours in Italy. Um, yeah. Yeah, yes. do you want to talk about that for a moment? Yes, I do. I have mm-hmm. a little company that's called Viaggi Deliziosi, and mm-hmm. that means delicious trips in Italian. Mm-hmm. And I take people to Tuscany where I rent a villa, and uh, I show them all the things I love about the Chianti region, which is where the villa is located. Mm-hmm. And we visit uh, producers, we visit butchers, we visit ceramics factories and wineries and castles. And uh, we have a wonderful time going out to lunch every day. I teach them the art of the Italian lunch. Mm-hmm. Amazing. <laughs> and then we cook together some evenings. Uh, and uh, it's just a wonderful week. And I do that four or five times a year. Mm-hmm. And so are these mostly um, a U.S. audience that you bring to Italy? Or yeah. is it people from... Uh, around the world or well i've had people from australia and new mm-hmm. zealand but it's mostly americans mm-hmm. that sounds very interesting and how did that get started what what sort of made you was it your um, education in italy that sort of propelled that process no it was actually uh my first cookbook that i wrote the cheese mm-hmm. lovers cookbook and guide and it came out in 2000 Mm-hmm. originally, and it's still in print after 22 years, and I'm so proud of that. But anyway, uh, I was a member of the IACP, which is the International Association of Culinary Professionals, and it was made up of a lot of different types of people all in the culinary industry, from chefs to cookbook writers to uh, cooking teachers, all kinds of things. And I met a couple at the IACP that had originally worked at William Sonoma, mm-hmm. uh, creating the books for Chuck Williams. And they uh, invited me to come see this beautiful place that they had built in the southwest of France. And that was the year 2000. And I went over to visit them and my cookbook was coming out. And they said, well, why don't you get together a group of friends and bring them here and do a cooking class for a week? And I said, oh, yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I went there and I loved it. And I started taking lots of groups there. And I did that for about 10 years. And then I transferred and went to Italy because I had loved Italy. And that was my favorite place. And 
most people thought I was taking people to Italy, even though I was going to France. So mm -hmm. that's how it happened. Mm -hmm. That sounds, yeah, that sounds so interesting. And it's, it's nice how that sort of started as an or organic thing. Um, it was sort of spontaneous thing. And then it became something that's now uh, like a staple that you, that you run. Um, have you ever had any recipes um, for new, new different types of cheeses that you discovered while you were touring in Italy or in France? Yes, I have. Mm -hmm. I used to go in France, especially, and originally in Italy, to visit many, many cheesemakers. Mm -hmm. And I would talk to them, and many times they would let me come into their tiny factories and work with them. And I got all my recipes that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just would watch them and work with them, and then I would write down what they did and come back to the United States and experiment and make the different kinds of cheeses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds so interesting. And it seems like that's it's cool that um, everyone in the in the industry is so open to sharing and collaborating. It's um, wonderful. It mm -hmm. really, really is. Um, and it's so much fun. And one of the things that happened after I came back from Italy was I was always making the deliveries. And I my customers were the young chefs of Dallas who were experimenting with Southwestern cuisine. And mm -hmm. so I would go into the kitchen and make my delivery. And I would see what kind of products they were using and what they were cooking with. And I got very interested in that. So I would run back to the cheese factory and buy some chilies and herbs like those chefs were using mm -hmm. and incorporate them in my cheeses. So, mm -hmm. I mean, they were influential too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and where would you say your love of food developed from? Uh, did it start at an early age or is it something that you came, came into later in life? No, I always loved food. My mm -hmm. grandmother was a wonderful cook and she made delicious soups and cobblers and very Southern things. Mm -hmm. And my family used to go to New Orleans every mm -hmm. year for a summer vacation. And I, you know, loved all the food there. And uh, we were a family that you know, enjoyed good food. Mm -hmm. And was there a moment that that love for food developed into a love for cheese in particular? Well, I I think I loved cheese even when I was a teenager because I mm -hmm. liked cheeseburgers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I even liked cottage cheese. Mm -hmm. So uh, I always liked cheese. And uh, when I started traveling in Europe and eventually living in Italy, I was very interested to try all the different cheeses that came into my life. And I would buy them at the markets and everything. But it was really after I returned to Dallas, after living in Italy, that I missed this fresh mozzarella so much. Mm -hmm. And I loved that mozzarella and tomato salad so much that I decided to have a cheese factory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. And uh, it's very funny that you were talking about even your interest in cottage cheese. I remember from a, from a young age, I was always, uh, I always loved gorgonzola cheese and blue cheese. And I always felt like people looked at me weird because of that. Um, but um, yeah, switching gears a little bit, um, I want to talk a little bit about your business and how has um, your business been affected by any like supply chain issues or the COVID pandemic? 
Well, uh, we survived the pandemic. I'm very mm-hmm. happy to say. And we mm-hmm. got a PPP loan, mm-hmm. uh, that helped us, not a big one, but just a little one. And we were able to stay open during the entire pandemic. Uh, from the very beginning, uh, we registered as an essential business because we mm-hmm. were producing food and we were able to keep our employees working, although we were selling so much less than we. Yeah originally had been selling, but, uh, it's coming back now and, uh, we're very happy about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what was another question? Yeah, just, um, yes, uh, COVID pandemic and then also, uh, supply chain issues. I know that a lot of your, I think all of your ingredients are sourced locally or so sourced domestically. Um, but has there been any issues with, um, with getting your, 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 uh, ingredients on time, things like that? No, we, uh, some things are slower to come and we did have problems with, uh, the boxes and the, uh, styrofoam that we line the boxes with. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the things are, are slower to come, but we've managed to, uh, adapt and continue. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And congratulations. I feel like, yeah, that's, that's quite a, quite a feat to have been able to continue working all throughout the pandemic. One of the things about the pandemic that really I liked so much was all the seminars of the SFA. Mm -hmm. They had so many seminars, and it was a wonderful way to learn things, I mean, about all kinds of things, and I just thought it was fabulous for the Mm -hmm. members. Yeah, I'm so happy to hear that our educational resources are are useful. Um, we um, We tried doing everything we could to, especially during a time um, where people had um, a little bit more time to devote to um, education that we were able to provide that for them um, and also to help out um, however we could. Um, yeah, so I wanted to also ask about any, um, over your over the time that you've developed the business, um, over your past uh, 40, 40 years um, in the industry, um, how what were the obstacles that you faced in growing your business to what it is now? Well, every single obstacle you can think of. I mean, mm-hmm. it was a tiny little business. And, uh, I mean, the first obstacle was finding the milk. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. it's been one thing after another. It's just been a saga. And I've, uh, fortunately succeeded and, uh, climbed to the top of every little, uh, obstruction. But, uh, it's just been, you know, it's learning to make the product. It's learning to be consistent. It's finding customers. It's, uh, getting your cheese there. Now, one of the worst things that we face is the cost of transportation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is awful. I mean, you can't even believe it. I mean, you can, but it's awful. Yeah. And it has risen every year for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the, there are many costs associated with making cheese that you wouldn't think of, like the cost of gasoline for our delivery van and mm-hmm. uh, all kinds of things. Costs are rising tremendously right now. Yeah. And with these uh, rising costs, especially the most more recent rising costs, have you had to pass on that price increase to the customers? We are just about to do that. We have mm-hmm. held our prices down since uh, twenty. 14 or 2016. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. And, uh, we have not raised the prices since then. And now finally it's, we have to do it. And we're sorry, but, uh, all of the costs to us are rising. And so yeah. we don't want to, every time we sell a cheese, lose a certain amount of money. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And it's something that is 
sadly just become uh, an unavoidable reality. Um, it's especially terrible. over the past, yeah, especially over the past uh, year or two years. Yeah, and inflation mm-hmm. is there too, as as well as the actual cost of the in, the increased cost. Yeah, definitely. And over time, how do you feel your brand has evolved? How has like the mozzarella company evolved? I know it was started off with just mozzarella cheese and and um, branched out into other artisanal cheeses, but. Um, is there any other ways you you note that, uh, like an evolution? Yes, that's a great question. I think so many things come to mind. Like number one, I wanted to name the company and it was going to make mozzarella. And so mm-hmm. I uh, talked to a man in Dallas who had a very successful business and it was called The Shoebox. And he says, mm-hmm. everybody knows what I sell. And I thought, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right. And so I had also toyed with the idea of formaggio because I thought that it could, it was an Italian word. It means mm-hmm. cheese. I could make lots of different kinds of cheese and call it all, you know, and the name of the company formaggio would be good. But mm-hmm. I was afraid that people would mispronounce it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they might say formaggio and mm-hmm. I would have hated that. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I decided to name it Mozzarella Company, and uh, I thought I could just say, well, Mozzarella Company makes other kinds of cheese, too. So uh, we started out with a wonderful logo, and the logo had uh, a little man on the label, and it was red, white, and green, the colors of the Italian flag. And this little man had on a chef's hat, and he had a round face, and he was holding up a spoon. And so, you know, you could see that it was for cooking. You could see it was Italian. You could see all these things. And so I thought, well, that's great. Well, the interesting, I love the logo. And so uh, we used it for about 35 years. Mm-hmm. And I always thought during those years, well, maybe we should put a girl on the label that would, you know, it's all women owners, my company. It is all uh, women cheesemakers. And so then anyway, eventually, uh we changed it and now it's my picture on the logo. So mm-hmm. I'm a little embarrassed about it, <laughs> especially when I go in the store and I see all these labels and we have a big sign on the outside of the cheese factory with our logo and it's my picture, you see. And so I'll be walking into the cheese factory and these people come walking down the street and they'll say, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny. So, mm-hmm. uh, so that's a little interesting tidbit. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it also seems pr- appropriate that uh, the mo- it's called the mozzarella company, as especially because mozzarella is the favorite cheese that you you produce. Yes. Uh, it's a little, it's turned into an homage to your love of cheese as well. Oh, that's a nice thing for you mm-hmm. to say. <laughs> and um, yeah, so we're almost out of time. But before you go, we'd like you to participate in our final segment. Take five, five questions for our guest. First, let's pause and take a break. GigPro is the solution to the restaurant staffing crisis. We're offering businesses the chance to instantly fill their shifts and food and beverage pros the chance for better wages, more flexibility in their schedules and benefits. If you're a business, go to gigpro.com, create your free account and post the shifts you need filled. If you're a hospitality worker, download the GigPro app, create your profile, start applying to shifts, and start getting paid. 
We know what hospitality businesses and workers need because we spent decades working in the industry ourselves. If you're tired of wasting money on broken recruiting tools or sending your resume into the void, you owe it to yourself to give GigPro a shot. Whether it's a couple shifts or a full-time hire, GigPro lets you 86 the broken staffing status quo and embrace a better future. Hello again, and welcome back. I'm George Hajar of SFA, speaking with Paul Lambert of Mozzarella Company. Okay, here are your five questions for our final segment. Take five. What is your favorite thing about the specialty food industry? All the delicious things that you can find. Mm -hmm. And what's one thing the SFA has made easier for you as a specialty food business owner? It's made it easier for me to meet all kinds of people. Uh, I've met many people at the Fancy Food Show from all parts of the world and Mm -hmm. uh, all walks of life. And I've I've loved that. Mm -hmm. That's an amazing answer. Um, If you weren't running a business, what would you be doing? Oh, I'd like to be an architect or maybe an artist. Mm, Interesting. Uh, uh, What's one piece of advice you'd give a new food business? You have no idea how much work you have ahead of you. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so much work. Mm-hmm. But my other thing I would say is you've got to love what you do. And if you love what you do, it's not work. And I've always felt that way about my business. Mm-hmm. And how do you define specialty food? Specialty food is a f- it used to be fancy food, and it still is to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I know specialty food to me is uh, smaller batches of food, uh, maybe higher quality ingredients, wonderful taste. Uh, one thing they it often has is lovely packaging, although mm-hmm. I don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much for these answers. You're welcome. A big thanks to Paula Lambert for joining us today. And you can find out more about this show at specialtyfood.com and heritageradionetwork.org. And remember to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Come back often to get to know the people who are shaping the future of food. Special thanks to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. This is Spill and Dish, a Specialty Food Association podcast. Spill and Dish is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.